So I can't emphasize enough the power of conversation, the power of getting to know other people around you. Everybody has a different backstory. Everybody got to where they got in a different way. And sometimes it seems like it was really easy, but there is a ton of obstacles that we all face in life. It was really special that I got to have that chat with Carrie Dahl. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, it would mean a lot if you were able to share this with a friend or on your social media to help both of our platforms. Carrie Dahl has the Inner Circle podcast and the Lifestyle Chase is mine. And honestly, we're both in it for the right reasons, wanting to share people's stories and help elevate others. On a side note, I am promoting an event, Yoga in the Garden, at the U of A Botanic Gardens. This is put on by Ripple Effect and the Roaming Yogi. Uh, there is a private barbecue dinner supplied by MKT. It's a ticketed event. There are many community sponsors that are helping put this on. And all proceeds will be donated to Daniel's Place, which is a fundraiser to build a sensory room at a local high school, in addition to 10% of profits supporting education for children in Kenya. Tickets available for that event are at rippleeffectyeg.ca, or you can find them on Instagram and Facebook at rippleeffectyeg or at the Roaming Yogi. You can also find event info available at yogainthegardenyeg.eventbrite.com. So thanks for uh, listening to my little shout out there. I really hope that you enjoy the episode and I'm just going to get started. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to episode 49 of the Lifestyle Chase. And here I am joined by the one and only Carrie Dahl. <laughs> the one and only, wow. Well, it's the only one I've ever come across, so technically speaking. <laughs> okay, well thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. Your office is very fancy. Like, it's fancy? Well, I, I record, if I host, I record over my living room, which is also my kitchen, <laughs> which, I mean, it's just a different experience altogether, but... Well, this is my office and meeting room and like we do it all in here. So that's why I had a bigger room and yeah. I wanted to be multi-purpose and multifunctional. So yeah, it's almost like a boardroom too. So I'm like, it's a one hit wonder. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like a very functional room. Thank you. That's what I was hoping for. So your day, did it have an early start? I think I saw on your Instagram story you were up pretty early. Yeah, I was part of the 4am club today. And I'm trying to honor my body's circadian rhythm. And uh, I never really knew what that was until my husband got on the bandwagon for it. And when he explained it to me, I'm like, I get it. Because your body will wake up naturally when it finishes a circadian rhythm. But if you go back to sleep and then your alarm wakes you up in the middle of, a ne- of another one, that's when you're really exhausted. But when you get up at that moment, when you're at the end of it, it's like, oh, I'm awake and if you honor it, if you can just get your butt out of bed, and that's what I did today. And I crushed work this morning. So it's like I'm so alert, there's no interruptions, it's a beautiful time of the day. 
and uh, I, I got a lot done in a few hours before I went for my workout. Yeah, that's perfect. I'm a big advocate for that. That's Are you? Stuff. Well, I mean, like I'm in the fitness scene. Yeah. I like to uh, pursue different things that make us better at what we do. Mm-hmm. And if it seems ridiculous, if it doesn't seem ridiculous, and if it makes sense, <laughs> then I I'm into that stuff. Like the 5 a.m. Club, Ron Sharma's book. Like I love his work. Mm-hmm. I think he has a great way of telling the story. Yeah. And yeah, I like personal growth is sort of my wheelhouse. I love oh. that stuff. My jam. I'm all about getting up early lately and sleep. Yeah, all about sleep lately. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I won't sacrifice sleep almost for anything. Like, I love being in bed at 9.30 at night. has a big impact on the social life, but that's okay. I, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. It's just, I, it feels good to feel good, and I don't like to uh, do anything that will impact my morning workout. When I get up, I want a great workout in the morning, and if I'm tired... I mean, your day doesn't really get off on the right foot. It's my drug. Like exercise and the sun are two drugs that I rely heavily on. And then speaking about like social life and stuff, like you volunteer for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And the one that stands out to me most, just because I saw it recently, was the Stollery Women's Network. Yes. That was recently, wasn't it? It was. That was an interesting um, group to be part of. If you want some perspective on that is, honestly, I've been a volunteer with the Stollery for 25 years. And it began because way back in the day in my journalism career, I was a medical reporter. And I got to see things as a medical reporter that most people don't. Like going into the operating room where Dr. Ivan Rebecca was performing a procedure. He's a pediatric heart surgeon. A procedure he pioneered. It's called the Norwood procedure. And a lot of babies are born with holes in their hearts. And he pioneered a technique to close these holes and allow the baby to live a very normal life. And so he brought me into the OR back in the day. And let me tell you, when there's a a little baby, it was a 14-month-old baby on a table, chest cavity wide open. The heart is like as big as a marble. And there's a team of like 20 people around this little body. And I walk in with a camera and he's like, oh, hi, Carrie, come on over here. And that's all I see is this wide open chest cavity. And he's explaining how he is cauterizing and closing this hole in the heart. So you get sucked in fast because you realize what a diamond the stallery is. And then, of course, I'm dating myself, but it's okay. Back in the day, Daryl and I, I don't even know if you would remember this. We used to do telethons uh, to raise money for the stallery. But that's when Bob and Shirley Stollery, the name, the hospital's namesake, so it's named after, were still alive. And I remember interviewing Bob Stollery after broadcasting 12-hour days, raising money for the hospital. And I said, Bob, why'd you do this? Why'd you lend your name to the hospital? Why is this important to you? And he was a huge champion of Edmonton. And he said, Carrie, it's your community. It's up to you to make it great. And that really resonated with me, and that's where my volunteer work really began back then with the Stollery and with a number of other organizations. But fast forward to five years ago, when three women from the Stollery came to me and they said, we want you to be a part of something, will you come to a meeting? And I said, what is this something? And they said, we don't know. I said, okay. And I said, all we can say is for the Stollery, and that's all I needed to hear. Nine women gathered in a room, and we didn't know why we were gathering. It was a grassroots organization to build something, a network, some type of gathering for women. 
and we kept meeting you know every couple of weeks and we talk about what it would look like we became advocates for the hospitals basically go out and talk about what the foundation was doing and how it was fundraising and how that fundraising supported the hospital that was five years ago there was nine of us in the room that network has now grown over 700 women and then after a year of being together we decided to become fundraisers and then in four years we raised a million dollars all grassroots so and it was because we are talking about a jewel in our city that uh, saves lives you know it's a young lives and it's not just lives in Edmonton like the children's lives the encatchment area the Solar Children's Hospital goes way up to the Northwest Territories into British Columbia into Saskatchewan and then Calgary will even send the sickest of the sick to us we're massive and it's right in our backyard and we need to do what we can to protect it and grow it and on that one final note what's so exciting is we are building the first ever mental health hospital for children in our city there's nothing like it in Canada this is huge huge one facility for for children's mental health like you know how huge that is that's well for me like mental health is a huge importance in my life i've done mental health special on the podcast um it's yeah that's imperative it's important social media and all these different things and going further and further away from our core values mm -hmm. are affecting people and their state and their mental health and it is something that if we don't kind of look at and target and nurture and help it will get in trouble so great news mental wellness and physical wellness go hand in hand and healthy kids grow up to healthy adults if you can't take the steps when you're young you're never going to get there when you're older that's where the building blocks need to start and i'm so excited that there's going to be one facility for it because there's a stigma attached to to having to walk into a clinic where there's you know 10 other types of businesses in that giant building if you're walking through the doors of a mental health clinic and other people can see you they know why you're going there and you shouldn't even be subjected to that stigma that's attached to it one building mental wellness we need it and we're blazing a trail in Edmonton and it's so exciting so this will be one of the biggest things that happens in Edmonton probably since like our arena is a whole different arena yeah, it's a completely different completely category. different but this is huge we're blazing a trail in Canada it's so incredible there's it people is. in the city that work incredibly hard and devote their life towards mental health mm -hmm. like loads like she she is like a soldier for oh mental gosh. health it's something else. <laughs> Can I just say I have a girl crush on that woman? I got all the respect in the world to her. She's probably, in my opinion, one of the most prolific speakers on mental health in our country. I recently, a little side story on Blake, I recently was hired to MC and redo a huge conference that's been taking place for 15 years in our city. It's with Lloyd Sad Insurance. And it's a construction conference, brings together all different aspects of construction. And they were just looking to breathe some new life into it, so they hired me. And I said, what do we need? I said, why do we always have to do conferences with people, just specialties? I said, you're in the insurance business. You've got to tell me that mental health is an issue for you. And they all said, it's huge. And I said, then let's bring in a speaker. And everyone was like, whoa, really? I said, yeah, really. 
So I brought in Blake Lotes. She was one of the speakers on the list, and she blew the doors off that place. You could have heard a pin drop for the 45 minutes that she spoke. Yeah. People were, were in awe. People were crying listening to her. She had a huge impact on the audience. So it's time for us to shift our thinking, and it's happening, and I'm so excited that it's happening. Me too. Mm -hmm. Looking back on like the start of being in the public space, the start of like being on TV, like what year was that? Oh gosh, I was. I've been a journalist for uh, twenty years. So, and my first job, if I go way, way back, uh, my internship was at ABC News in Lubbock, Texas. And I went down to America for a couple of reasons. I wanted to see what the market was like down there. And also my best friend was a nurse. And during the Klein health cutbacks in the early 90s, there were no jobs for nurses. So she moved to the States, so I wanted to go visit her. So I was like, I can kill two birds with one stone here. I get to visit my best friend and live with her for a couple of months, and she's in Lubbock, Texas. And I get to work with one of the American news agencies. And I called up ABC, NBC, and CBS, and ABC couldn't have been nicer to me. I said, come on down. And away I went. So thinking about that, and this was something, because we kind of bantered a bit before I pressed record, and I was saying I want to save something for once yeah. and for um, Your career mm -hmm. has been almost as long, or maybe very close to how old I am. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not trying to be an ass, no. but I just want to offer some perspective, because I'm going to get very vulnerable on my own podcast. Okay. When I started, mm -hmm. like, I'm competitive in things. Yeah. I'm going to be like, well, I told this person's story, I did a good job, and then I'll see other people telling people's stories, and I'll be, I'll be like, why, why can't I get the kind of attention that this person's getting? Mm -hmm. why, why can't I see the success that people are, are getting? And it was like a monkey on my back, because everybody's hard on themselves. Like everybody's going to be their own toughest critic, yes. and will compete against anybody that's out there. Like, someone who's been to the gym for like three months will compete against somebody who's been bodybuilding for eight years. There's no question about it. Um, and I was like thinking to myself, I was like, am I just doing a really bad job of this, this podcast that I do? Am I not like seeing all the effort that I put in come back? And my, my oldest brother, he like kind of gave me a reality check. He was like, dude, she's been like in front of people for almost as long as you've been alive. He was like, nobody knows who you are, and you still get listens on your podcast. And I was like, oh, right, like that—that's true. And then uh, when I brought that up to one of my friends, I was like, well, why don't you just interview Carrie Dolls? <laughs> you know, maybe I should. And so like, that's why we're here. Like, we're all bad. Like, we're critics of ourselves. We're really, really hard on ourselves. And when we look at perspective, like this. I was nobody. Nobody knew who I was, and I'm not saying people know who I am now, but like bit by bit by bit, like your first year into your career, like being in the public eye would have been very like in proportion similar. Like you're just kind of spreading your wings, you're having your first mistakes, you're learning things, and I just needed that perspective to be like, heck, like, yeah, it's like my... I'm in the first year of my podcast, and before that, like, I'd be lucky if my neighbor recognized me at the grocery store. Like, that's, this is just reality. And I'm still having these conversations, and they're still meaningful, and somebody will eventually stumble upon them. But I just wanted to share that with you, because, like, you might not realize that people around you that you've never kind of met, 
like sort of you you play some role in some capacity in what they're doing on their own. Mm-hmm. Like, would you have guessed that other people that are doing that are personal trainers that are doing a podcast would be interviewing their guests and like being hard on themselves because you're interviewing guests and mm-hmm. sometimes you're interviewing the same people and sometimes it's completely different people. Yeah. So like, why why would I compare? But I do. Well, that's human nature. Yeah. That's what we do. We are always our own worst critics. So that's the first thing I will say to you. And the second thing is um, I'm the biggest believer that age is just a number. Uh, I've, I've always believed that when it comes to how old you are. But there is something to be said uh, for experience. And you grow with your years and your experiences that you have. Believe me, when I started out, you have to remember that it was, the media was very different back then. So think of like, even back in my very first job in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, like there's tens of thousands of people that are watching me every night. And then when you take that lens and bring it into the greater Edmonton area, how many people are watching night after night after night, it's very easy to grow a profile. But with profile, when you become a public figure, you become almost public property. People think that they can say anything to you. And so you have to develop a very thick skin very quickly. And are you in competition with everybody? Yes. But I also quickly realized that there's opportunities to lift each other up instead of tear each other down. And at the time, I was on the air with one of the greatest journalists I ever worked with and against, who was Linda Steele. You know, brilliant woman, but I had all the respect in the world with her. But we were global and CTV competed night after night after night. But it didn't mean that I wouldn't go for drinks with her after work. So I wanted to learn from her. So, you know, you have to look at these as opportunities to learn from one another and to grow from one another and uh, to gain some publicity off one another. Um, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. And also, I mean, we put such a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves, and sometimes we just need to adjust the lens a bit and say, instead of being in competition with, it's what can I learn? And how can this person empower me? There's a saying out there that empowered women empower women. And that can be the same for people, empower people, empower people. So if you're one of those, I mean, look at you and I are sitting at the table. You have a podcast. I have a podcast. I hope that I can can empower you and lift you up. And you do the same for me. So. I think we need to adjust the way we, we look at life and we look at work and we look at competition because there's room for everybody. There really is. And you know what a great example is? And it's two people that I was just in St. Louis with my husband for a business conference. I don't know if you know the names of Andy Frisella and Ed Milat. <laughs> so we were with them for the weekend. And are they competitors? You answer that question. Are they? Yeah. Are they the two biggest podcasts in the world right now? Yes, yes, they are, and they're friends, and they lift each other up, and they have Arte Syndicate together. So they have a business group together, so they're lifting each other, working together. And I have learned that, that instead of in competition with, learn from, learn together, move forward together. And uh, that, I think, is the learnings in this, if you don't mind me taking you down that path. No, totally. so, I completely agree. And it's something that I see in the personal trainer industry. A big part of like my podcasts are creating lessons. And in the feedback that I've received, my ability to just kind of almost 
not cut myself down to be very, very honest and real with like what goes on in my head is what other people are able to relate to and like then they can sort of call themselves up and be like, what am, what am I doing? Like they're in a gym and then there's like 10 other trainers and then they're like, how can, how can I get more clients than that trainer? But instead like, what if it was, how can I leverage my strengths to make that trainer a better trainer? Because at the end of the day, like our clients are going to be our clients. We're not going to lose our client because we made that trainer better. That's just not, no. not how it works. Do you know what I would say to you? You go find one of the best trainers in the city who you admire most. Take him for lunch, him or her. Ask them what they do that makes them great or what some of their daily practices are. Learn from them. We all need mentors in our life. And seek out the best, the people that you admire. And ask for their tricks of the trade. The greatest of the greats always want to teach. Yeah. So be a student and learn from them. I have a coach. I have a mentor, two completely different. I have a business coach that holds me accountable to my business goals. I also have a mentor who I look up to so much. And I'll say, what did you do to get here? How did you conquer this? How did you conquer that? Go seek out the greats and ask them. That's been like the, the point of what's made my career successful mm -hmm. is I've been very open to doing that. I, uh, you know who Shara Vishant is. Yes, and love her. She was, I believe it was my first uh, interview for a personal training position. Mm -hmm. And while I, I didn't get it, I'm not here to like focus on that because it's reality. Like I was pretty fresh out of the certification yeah. and she responded to my email faster than anybody else. She brought me in for an interview faster than anybody else. She gave me at least half an hour to 45 minutes of like quality conversation where she listens to what I had to offer. She gave me a challenge. She had me create a program based on three different profiles. She gave me a list of people to follow. She gave me a list of different like movements or variations based on what she would be using at SVBT. Like there's nothing more that she could have done. And we are friends on social media. We talk back and forth. Like these, these are huge things. Like my my business I run as like an independent contractor trainer out of Evolve is within distance, close distance of SP, SVPT. But I never think of myself as like a competitor. I think of myself as an ally. Like if I ever thought that she was in trouble, then I would want to look out for her. And if I ever thought that some trainer involved was in trouble, I would want to look yeah. out for them. If uh, some trainer across town, well, I'll actually use, use an example, Jordan Jeske. He yeah. is someone that has really stood out as a mentor for me. Mm -hmm. He kind of, he, when I wanted to be a trainer, I gave him a call and he gave me like 45 an hour of his time just to chat about what it is to be a trainer. And one of the best pieces of advice going into being a trainer, if you're not already started, is to have somebody that's willing to talk you out of it. Somebody that's like, no, you don't want to do it. And then if you still want to do it, then you can be a trainer because mm -hmm. it's a tough industry. Yes. And when, when his dog, Rye Guy, was having like some, some injuries and needed surgery and he was running boot camps to fundraise the money and everything like that, I felt such empathy. Like, why? Like, he's, he's not like my brother or he's not, he's not financially tied to me. And we're both trying to make a go of it getting your clients in, but I, I felt empathy because of what he's done for me, what he does for other people, what he does for the fitness industry. So I'm a, a huge, huge advocate for communicating, for learning from people, for seeing people's value first and worrying about the rest later. Like, 
there's so much that everybody has to offer. That's what I mean when I use the saying, empowered people, empower people. Absolutely. So when you're one of those, you think differently. You want to support, not in competition with. So. I uh, trust through your episode where you, it was like your episode with you on your podcast. Mm -hmm. I listened to it at 1.5 speed, so I had to really, really focus. <laughs> <laughs> but some things that stood out to me were some really cool similarities. Um, you enjoyed public speaking yeah. as long as you public spoke. Mm -hmm. And you went into competitions yeah. and did awesome. And you have a big fan. Yes. Were you the youngest? Yes, youngest of 10. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how my mom and dad did it, but I have all the respect in the world for them because now that I'm a parent and whatnot, but yeah, I have no clue how they pulled it off. And a bit of an age gap between you and the mm -hmm. next sibling. You're right, good memory. I have five years, so I was uh, probably a, a mistake, but I'll take that because I, uh, five years different meant that the age difference meant that I was like almost an only child from grade eight on, and it was cool having my mom and dad's sole attention yeah. for the last five years being at home. I know that life well. There's, and I say it so often that I get given a hard time for it, but there is like a nine year and a 13 year age gap between me and both oh, my brothers. Okay. So I, I, led, or I lived that same life. Yeah. I uh, got to have that support of siblings, still have that support of siblings. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the one sibling kind of brought me, gave me a reality check. Right. Um, and I also sort of lived that life of sort of like the only child where my parents could really, really focus on me. Right. And it's neat just because not everybody, people are shaped by their childhood. That's Absolutely. something that I find. Absolutely, and I have, when I do a lot of my, uh, it's not just interviews, but because I do a lot of public speaking coaching, and um, when I start to, I call it peel back the layers of an onion for people who really struggle, it comes back to a lot of what they learned in their childhood, whether or not they felt worthy to tell their story or worthy to be on a stage. or And it's not even, I try to take that stigma away. So many people say, oh, I don't need to learn how to public speak because I never go on stage. Well, yeah, you do, because it doesn't have to be a physical stage. Your stage is all around you. Your stage is around you in, in, in your coaching. Chris, every day when you're coaching someone, you're on a stage. Your stage is around you in conversation. It's around you in boardroom meetings, in any type of meeting. That's public speaking, whether you want to believe it or not, it is. So that's why I say public speaking is a life skill and a learned skill. And when I start to peel back those layers of an onion and I start to get to the root of maybe what there is causing their nervousness, that's it always goes back to their childhood. Yeah. Always. Mm -hmm. And something that I like to think about, because I'm kind of sort of a bit of a hippy-dippy trainer, where I <laughs> really promote uh, believing in yourself. I won't yeah. just like toss a program at them and be like, mm -hmm. we will just do exercise here, we will talk about nothing except for squats and deadlifts. Uh -huh. Like, uh, the, the product is being able to be a public speaker, but the catalyst or like what you're mixing in is uh, self-confidence. Yes. And it's incredible what can happen with self-confidence when somebody thinks of something that they thought that they could never do, and then they realize that they can totally do that, and then they apply themselves and it happens. And then just over and over, they're gonna find that when they say, I can do this, they're able to public speak in whatever stage or capacity that that is. Do you know what the heart of that though is? Even if you go even a layer deeper, if I put on my coaching hat, it's not only self-confidence, 
it's the confidence in storytelling because that's what connects us all and I'll, I've called my course the power of storytelling because that's what's at the heart of public speaking. You don't get up there and just spew facts and figures because nobody's ever going to remember that. What you do is you tell stories. How do you get people to do squats? You can tell them that, well, this squat will do this for this muscle. Well, that's great. But if you tell me a story that you did squats for this many months or that this is the result of this person and give me a concrete story to attach to, I'm not going to forget that. Yeah. I can tell you that there are, let's say, 37 children that are born in Edmonton every day. I bet you're going to walk out of here and in a week you're going to forget that number. But if I tell you that a kindergarten class is born in Edmonton every day, I don't think you're going to forget we that. And that is classes. truth. Yeah. yeah, that is the truth. Yeah. That's how many babies are born in Edmonton every single day. A People kindergarten class. People are busy. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's why here in my office, uh, one of the greatest quotes that I live and breathe by is, to people may not remember what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So I bet in your personal training business, you make people feel every day. Every day, you gotta, in order for them to remember, you gotta make them feel. And that's how you connect with people. And once you connect with people, you don't forget. Absolutely. And that's the key. So true. So I want to sort of segue in the sense that we talk about self-belief and confidence mm -hmm. and all these things and pursuits and your past career. What's a moment when you are the least likely to feel confidence or the least likely to feel that you could make something happen? Oh, like a situation that I've been in? That you just doubted yourself and like you were really hard on yourself and you just didn't, didn't visualize success but in the end found it. Well, I think there's two and they're two completely different ones. One, so I'll give you two examples. It was a number of years ago when I was a journalist. I was reading the 6 o'clock news, CTV. And I still don't know why I was chosen, but it was when President Clinton, U.S. President Bill Clinton, came to town. And he was speaking at Rexall Place in front of 10,000 people. My boss came to me and said, you've been selected to do the Q&A with President Clinton. And I remember looking at my boss going, like, what? And in my head, my first thought was, I can't do that. Like, what the hell do I know about interviewing a US president, like one of the most powerful people in the world. And that was a saboteur on the one side of my shoulder saying, you can't do that, you can't do that. And then on the other side I said, yes I can. I mean, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. And what do I do when tough situations are presented to me? I dig in and I stop being afraid of the hard work. And this is going to take a lot of preparation, a lot of hard work, a lot of extra hours. But do I want it? Yes. How bad do I want it? Really bad. That means I'm gonna to have to do a ton of work. So I was paralyzed for a moment, but then when I realized what I was giving up, there was no way I was giving that up. I was gonna meet that challenge head on, no matter what. Yeah. And I did, and it was a highlight of my career. There was so much prep work involved and it was ridiculous. So that's one example. Another is a fitness goal. And when I first started working with a trainer, I, I always saw that as a, an investment in myself and my trainer is Paul Plackis at Custom Fit. 
and uh, he said to me, it was like three, four months in, you're gonna, um, putting you into the half marathon running club. He goes, you have to run a half marathon. I said, I don't run. He goes, uh, well, you will once you get finished this program. He said, if you're gonna train with me, you're gonna run a half marathon. And I, you know what my first thought was? You asshole, I don't wanna run. And he goes, and I think I finally did verbalize that. He goes, no, you're going to run. It's all part of your fitness plan. You came to me for a reason. You hired me for a reason. And I thought, in the back of my head, I'm gritting my teeth. I'm like, he's right. I know he's right. And it was always my dream to be able to run, but I never thought I could do it. So I thought, if I'm going to continue on. And he lit a fire inside him. He made me so angry because he knew how to get to me. Even then, he knew that I was that A-type personality, that all he had to do was throw the challenge down in front of me. And in the back of my mind is that I'm going to prove him wrong. And I remember how hard it was to even run five minutes nonstop. Five minutes turned into 10 minutes. 10 minutes turned into a half an hour. And I'll never forget the day that I ran an hour nonstop. I was almost in tears. I was like, I cannot believe I did this. I can't. And then that hour turned into beating my goal. I ran the Vancouver half marathon. Seven months later, my goal was to run it in two hours and I did it in an hour 57.58. And it was one of the greatest accomplishments ever. So it was taking that challenge and letting it fuel me and it would marry me and I'm that A-type personality that I refuse to fail. I'm not, one of my mantras is don't be afraid to fail, be afraid not to try. Yeah. And there was no way I wasn't going to do that. Like I had to try. I had to prove something to me, not to anyone else, to me. Because that's always what it's been about is I've always been in competition with myself. So it's like, what are you going to do with this, Carrie? Are you, he's throwing a challenge down. Are you going to meet it and run with it? Or are you going to shy away from it and I won't walk away from something? I'm just not that type. So. Did you find that you could apply that experience to your experience in your consulting business? Everything. Everything. And there's been so many of those experiences in my life. And probably one of the most recent and one that really tested me was the loss of half my thumb. And um, I was injured in a wake surfing accident and uh, my thumb, I was using the rope uh, exactly how I should have been and the only reason I was, I usually surf without the rope behind the boat but it was a choppy day on the water and the rope uh, looped. My, what happened was I was coming off the wake, I was flying, you have good momentum, I was leaning forward in an athletic position. The rope slacked. When the rope slacks, it loops. Think of a skipping rope. I caught an edge on my surfboard and the loop closed on the end of my thumb and amputated it on the spot. My children were on the boat that day and I needed to show them that I was okay. I didn't want them to want to scare them. And I also needed to, through my recovery, show them that I'm still me. But what was funny, it wasn't I was showing them, they were showing me. Because when the bandages came off, it's hard to look at your hand or you look at your thumb when half of it's missing. Mm -hmm. And I'm a pianist. I play piano all my life. So I was like, how am I going to play the piano? How am I going to golf? How am I going to do a lot of things? And it was my 12-year-old son that looked at me and said, Mommy, you'll always be beautiful to me no matter what. And then my spicy 8-year-old daughter looked at me and said, Well, Mommy, it looks kind of funny to me. She goes, but you'll always be the same, Mommy. So your kids see something through uh, one lens, you see it through another, but I just, 
I was like, you know what? And, that, and it was the surgeon that said to me, do you have any idea how lucky you are? And at that moment, I wanted to throttle him because I thought, I'm not feeling very lucky right now. You know, half my thumb's just been amputated. And he said, an accident of this nature usually either amputates the entire thumb or the whole hand. You got off lucky. And I thought, you know what? He's right. In the grand scheme of things, this is no big deal. And it really hasn't been. I can play the piano again. At first, it hurt so bad because it's so nervy. Yeah. Um, my golf game still sucks, but I'm back on the course and I'm playing again and I'm getting used to the swing the way it is. And the only thing I can't do is text because the end of my thumb is so fat, I hit three fingers at a time, but that's what dictating is for. So I've solved that problem too. Perfect. Just yell out the phone and tell what you want. Exactly. <laughs> you know it. You know it. Yeah. I like that. And you bring up your kids. And I honestly think kids are such, they're such a gift. They are. Like people who have kids, they know it. They know that they have a gift. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they have to overcome a lot of struggles to get to have kids. Yes. Or they thought they'd never have kids. Yeah. Did you always see yourself having kids? No. Never wanted kids. For so many years, I was married to my career. And it even got to a point, it was six weeks before I met my husband. My dream was always to, I wanted to anchor a morning show in New York City. Because I love the morning show format because you get to do some hard news and then you get to do the interviews. And the interview was always my first love. And so I had my sights set somewhere in New York. I thought, man, that would just be the best. And I was in Edmonton doing the six o'clock news and I was like here not even six months. And uh, I'd met my husband, who I've now been married to for 15 years, six weeks earlier. And six o'clock news in Toronto, they offered me a job in writing, and it was a good offer. And that was my next plan. I'd go from Edmonton, go to the six o'clock news in Toronto, Toronto stateside, makes sense. And uh, CTV in Edmonton offered everything that Toronto was and then some. And that's when I turned down that dream. And... Um, decided that Edmonton was, was going to be home and that I wasn't going to pursue that avenue. So all of a sudden I have this man in my life that I end up marrying, but I still didn't want kids. And he said to me at the time, all he said was like, there's no ultimatum, but he goes, what's life without kids? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, you can only travel so much. You can only do this so much. Like, don't you ever dream of what it would be like if, you know, like Christmas is and and your future and going to watching your children grow up and seeing life through their eyes. And um, there was one year, and I don't want to use any names here, that I was over at um, a friend's house for Christmas. They didn't have any kids. And they lived in this beautiful house with this white carpet. And I remember seeing the carpet marks from their vacuum. It was so perfect. Everything was just so perfect. And it was Christmas Eve. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, what's missing? There's something missing. Like a chocolate bar scene or something. You got it. <laughs> and, there, and noise and yeah. kids screaming and excitement. And it was that's when I knew what my husband was talking about. And that's when it shifted for me. And I was like, yeah, what is life? And it's not, they're not for everybody. And they, until I saw it through a different lens and, you know, it was the best decision of my life to have a family and it's changed everything for me. But you have to be ready for it to be ready to go down that road because they change um, your life in ways that you could never possibly expect. You, Your heart will never be your own again because they steal it for the rest of their lives. Yeah.
did your definition of dream change? You had that dream of going down to the States. Is that still what Terrific question. Yes, it did. It was at that time when, when CTV, you know, more than matched the offer to stay in Edmonton. I was like, yeah, dreams can change. I was happy here. I enjoyed what I was doing. And I'm not going to lie. I always kind of, I still watch the morning shows. I'd watch, it was NBC News um, that I would watch all the time. Katie Couric and Matt Lauer at the time. And I loved watching it, but I just knew that I'm not going down that path. And my heart was full. I had no regrets, no regrets. So I watched from a distance and I cheered other colleagues on from the sidelines and were happy to see their successes as they pursued their own careers. But you know, zero regrets and fully recognize that dreams change and evolve over time and you have to honor that and hold space for it. But the biggest key is to be happy in your own heart because I get asked that question a lot. Did you regret not going there? No, I don't. It was the right decision. Yeah, I find uh, people put a box around themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's a box in such a way that we feel that for you to have fulfilled your old dream, you need to go down that pre-structured path. Like, there's all these studios with their shows, and you have to go to that studio that already exists, be on that show. But now we live in a world full of podcasts. We have the internet. We have a lot of things Mm -hmm. where you can, like, create your own path. Um, there's so much that your career can change oh. because of what the world is now. Mm-hmm. So has, have your future ambitions changed? What is, what is your big audacious goal? My big audacious goal is I would love, I see myself, and I don't use those words lightly because I believe in the power of manifestation. I believe our thoughts create our reality and I live and breathe by that because I'll take you back to when I was going, I went to the University of Calgary and studied communications and I did my degree in communications and then I got a diploma in broadcast news. And every day on my way to school, I was driving my little beat up Datsun car and I had to go by Broadcast Hill where CTV Calgary is located on and I would look up and every day I would drive by and I look up and say, I will work there one day. Not I want to, I will work there one day. And so it did happen. I anchored the five o'clock news there for a year, a month and a day until Edmonton called me and offered me their six o'clock news. So I digress for a moment and I bring you up today. I will be on a stage somewhere in Vegas in a sold-out crowd doing some type of motivational speech about the power of story, the power of telling your story, and I will sell out that crowd. That's my goal. I see it, I believe it, and I will be there one day. Because if you say, I want to, you're still not manifesting. You have to use the words that I will and truly believe it. And that's what I'm working toward is I love connecting with people through story and empowering people to tell their stories because everybody has one, but not everybody believes their story is worthy. And I want them to believe it, want them to, so. I'm on the same brain waves. Are I've you? I've seen things like, uh, nothing happens if you don't just bluntly say it's gonna happen. That's right. And it can be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of people can say that is ridiculous and it can be, your parents would say it's ridiculous. Your significant other can say it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. But you can still say this is gonna happen. And if you say it every single day, it's probably gonna happen. And it's funny that the world works that way, 
But it's funny because the world works that way. Yes, it does. Like, I, I'm not doubting for a second. I'll buy tickets to your show. Maybe you can comp me one for free. <laughs> <laughs> Consider it done. Perfect, perfect. Consider it done. We'll do another podcast backstage yeah. before I go out on, on stage. It'll give me some street cred. <laughs> <laughs> of course, 100%. Deal made right here. You can hold me to it. Excellent. So I want to go and think about your parents and just like how they raised you, just like childhood stuff like that, lessons that yes. they've shared with you. Mm-hmm. What are three that stand out from, from each parent, if you're able to share that? Well, uh, my dad was a farmer, so I grew up in a very small town and um, I don't know anyone who worked harder. You know, he never complained, he was up you know, at the crack of dawn and put in some really, really long hours. And he loved what he did. And he always said, if you were going to be successful in life, you have to put in the time. So that work ethic and the power of a really, to to work hard and you will see results came from him. Uh, He just, he he led by example. So you want to see results, you got to put in the time. That's one of them. Um, the other thing my, my dad was brilliant at was um, he was probably, he was my storyteller. And um, uh, he told great stories. And when my dad passed, that church was just packed with friends. He had so many friends because um, he believed in, in the power of story and the power of friendship. And so I would sit around the table and listen to him tell his stories. And I think that's where I learned the power of stories and how it can connect people because you could hear a pin drop and my dad used to tell stories so I, I learned about the power of story through him and the connections and through my mom was about was about turning your talents getting paid for your talents and hobbies and I always say that public speaking, writing, reading, those were all talents of mine and I found a way to get paid for them. And she made me recognize at a very early age that I had a gift for this. And she always said to me that you have to do what's in your heart. And if you can find a way to discover what's in your heart and then listen to it, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's exactly what I did. I look at what came naturally to me and I ended up being a journalist and I I didn't. And even to this day, I don't. I felt like I get. I got paid for a hobby all those years. So those are some of the, some of the lessons along the way. Listening to your intuition, following you know, what what comes naturally to you. The power of story, power of, of connections, and the the that power of hard work. Yeah, all from mom and dad. And it's incredible, like the legacy that our loved ones can give to us. And like it's it's in such a way that it not only inspires us but it empowers us to send that send our own other people with that same legacy. Mm-hmm. Be people that are a part of our life. Yes. That's how we live our life. Yes. And that came from our people. Or whether it be kids and with your kids, what are some things that uh, you want to instill in them? Things that are maybe non negotiable for you that yeah. you just want to see them thrive with or benefit from. So uh, one of the first non-negotiable is um, that they're a good human being, that they respect others. I always tell them to treat other people the way they want to be treated. So we're very, um, because I was raised that way too, big on manners and um, 
treating other people like I call them like it would be Mr. Chris you would be to them and to treat other people with that respect and they will get that in return to be good human beings and treat everyone equally equally so there's no that's very important for us another non-negotiable in our house is health and wellness we lead by example my husband Stephen and I exercise is very important to us and um, eating good food is very important to us but we just don't say you shouldn't have that you shouldn't be eating at McDonald's you shouldn't be drinking pop like we would never say that so we try to educate them so you know we want them to have some balance in their life too and we won't say like you can never have pop if you want to you're at a birthday party of course there's other kids but then we'll educate them about what they're drinking so for example you take a can of coke or whatever pop you choose and this is Kasha, our oldest, came to us and he said to me, Mom, like, why can't I have pop? And I just said, I want you to understand what's in it. So I went and got, I said, go get a glass. He got a, a glass and I said, you're going to count with me. Go get the white sugar now. Got white sugar and we counted 13 teaspoons. It filled up half the glass. That's how many teaspoons are in one can of Coke. And I pushed the glass towards Cash, my son, and Allegra, my daughter. And I said, here, drink this. And they said, gross, mom, gross. And I said, but that's what you're drinking when you drink a can of Coke. And I said, now turn the can around and read what it says for ingredients. And Cash looked at it, he goes, I can't pronounce any of these words, mommy. I can't even read them. I said, that's because they're all chemicals. I can't read them either. There's nothing real in that. So I don't just want to tell them that they can't. I want to educate them about the choices and what certain things will do for them and in their body and sometimes I tell funny stories about hi I'm protein and if you eat me I look like this and this will do this to their body and they get a kick out of that and that's how they remember is through that power of story so um, that's another non-negotiable is is you know their health and their wellness and exercise and um, I guess I think those would be the big ones is 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 being great human beings and then health and wellness yeah. overall yeah those are good ones and you talked about health and wellness and i'm pretty sure i saw somewhere that you are now involved in yeah oh my gosh what's that like for you well i was i chris i can't even tell you how humbled i was when they asked me i mean uh, Lululemon and I have a love affair that dates back to my first half marathon. That's where I bought my first ever pair of Lululemon pants. So I went out to Vancouver, first store opened ever on Robson Street. And I remember walking into that store and like angels sing when you walked into that store. <laughs> exactly. But I was like, I, I called it my champagne moment. When you achieve something in life, to me, that's a champagne moment. Champagne is one of my, I love my champagne. So I'm like, how, what am I going to do to reward myself for my achievement of finishing this half marathon and meeting my goal? I bought myself a pair of Lululemon pants and I still have those pants today, as you probably saw on Instagram. So that was important to me because they represented it not only like, of course, I love what Lululemon represents, like the sweat life and that they're encouraging people to live healthy, positive lives and to invest in themselves. So it represents all those things. And that's what that pair of pants represented to me. Goal achieved, I, I, something I dreamed of, a healthy lifestyle, shifting my way of thinking. So all of those things. And then you fast forward some 
20 years and here they come back full circle to me and they said they love that I'm using the power of my voice and that um, what I'm representing and what I'm doing for the community and I'm beyond humbled and they're, they're, they're leaders in so many, they're thought leaders of all the respect in the world for that company. I yeah. really do. And it's an honor to be on board in this capacity. And I, I look forward to learning from all the other ambassadors and learning from the company. Even like I find, even if you talk to the employees in there, like oh. everybody has something to share. Like I've Isn't gone that to the be truth? friends with a lot of them on, on social media and like they are leaders in their own right. And it is so cool to have that exposure to people who are so inspired in their own life. Every time I go there, I like even before this, I uh, my store is uh, in Southgate. I'm there for like minimum an hour because I get talking with so many people and then I'll be in the dressing room and they're like, you should try on this. And then I'll get into a conversation with another one of the employees and uh, they're all terrific people. And yeah, you're right. They all, the, the conversations I've had are, they're brilliant. And I walk out of that store, you know, with so much feeling like my day has been enriched just spending an hour in there. That's what I love about podcasting in general. Yeah. Like we're, we're getting enriched from letting other people into our life you're through right. genuine conversation and hearing mm -hmm. their story, feeling their emotions when times are tough. Like when I was breezing through your podcast, when you're talking about yourself and your story, when you felt emotion, yeah. I felt emotion. Oh. That is empathy. That is what being human is like. It is. And that's that's the great thing about having a podcast where we're just like talking and like talking about the things that excite us and the things mm -hmm. that are struggles and the things that make us feel awesome because we did it or the things that are on our horizon, we are certain they are happening because they will happen. Yes. It's neat. You know, and it's powerful, and I, I there's something I say, I call it that vulnerability is the new black, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I love seeing so many people coming forward and sharing their stories and being vulnerable and how you shared your vulnerabilities with me about how you felt and, you know, in your earlier days that you were in competition, like vulnerability equals courage. For so many years, Chris, I, I lived in a very public eye on the news and I had to maintain a certain persona in front of the camera and I didn't let a lot of people in. I was very careful. And there were a few experiences when I was on the news. I did have a, a, one in particular that I had a, a stalker for some six months. I don't talk about it often. And so I had to be very careful um, with what I was doing and how I lived. So I didn't share a lot of myself. And when I left the news and then started my podcast and just let it all go, it was funny, I gotta tell you this backstory. When I was searching for my first guest, like who's gonna be my first guest? Is it gonna, am I gonna try for Arlene Dickinson? Am I gonna go for you know a big name? Who's it gonna be? And I, I couldn't land anybody. I just you know was coming up cold on all fronts. And my husband said to me, he goes, you know who your first guest is. And I said, well, if you know, he goes, I know who it is. And I said, well, if you know, you better tell me because I'm running out of time here. Like we're launching soon. And he said, it's you. I said, me, what are you talking about? He goes, it's you and your story. And the more I thought about it, the more I knew he was right. And it was time for me to open up and be vulnerable and share 
what I had gone through and my struggles and my weaknesses and my losses and my strengths and I went deeper than I've had so many people say to me I had no idea and I couldn't believe you went there but thank you for going there you know what it felt good yeah it was empowering and once you go there you realize the strength you discover a new new sense of strength in yourself and then you're not afraid anymore and you build on that it builds character and it's important and for anyone who is contemplating that and i'm sure you would agree with me when you i would say go there yeah. go there well i mean emotions are meant to be felt when people experience loss loss is meant to be felt when people experience joy mm -hmm. joy is meant to be felt and to like hide those things that yeah. that's going to feel really really empty you're so an old soul aren't you a little bit for you <laughs> to see life that way that's really powerful perspective because a lot of people don't want to feel that because they're afraid they're I'm afraid lucky to have a lot of really good people around me that uh, cultivate mm -hmm. my best self and it's good and it's powerful to go down that path because mm -hmm. that lifts you up and takes you to the next level. And when you're at that level, you can empower other people to come along too. Mm -hmm. And that's what allows you to kind of live the dream and to really listen. I always say to, to people, like, you got to listen to what your intuition is telling you. It's one thing to think about it, but to listen, that's for me is where my podcast was born, was listening to my intuition. That was what put me on my path. Is the podcast the most memorable thing that your intuition has told you to do? Or is there something else that stands out when you think back? Well, yeah, there's a lot. The first one that comes to mind was, was marrying my husband because that was where, you know, I'd been dating him for six weeks and I was a late bloomer. I only got married when I was 32. So I was not looking to get married. I just thought when the time is right, the universe will provide. And I wasn't ready. But when I started to feel like it and you open yourself up to it, the universe provides. So knowing him for six weeks, I knew at that time I would marry him. And that's when the Toronto offer came along. Yeah. But I knew I was going to marry this guy. So that was the first time I listened to my intuition. The second time was about having kids. I knew in my heart it was what, what I needed to do. So I listened then. And then with um, the third powerful time, was when I left CTV News, it was the hardest decision and the best decision of my life, but I listened because my heart was bleeding inside because I was never seeing my kids and I knew I needed to make a change. And the final time was with the podcast and you know, I my mom and my dad passed away in the course of two years. My mother was my best friend and I miss her. It's barely been two years every single day, but it was her voice that I heard one day four months after she passed. I'm sitting on a beach in Costa Rica and I, I felt so broken inside and I kept saying to myself, what do I want to do with my career? There's something missing and I can't put my finger on it. And I could hear my mom's voice as plain as day and she used to call me Toots or Tootsie was my nickname. And she goes, Toots, you know exactly what you need to do. You need to go back to your first love. What's your first love? And I was like, it's the interview. I've always loved interviewing people. And that's when I was frozen. I was like, oh my God, I need to start a podcast. And I looked at my husband, I said, I need to start a podcast. He goes, yeah, you do. I've been waiting for you to say this. Came yeah. home from that trip and I said to Jen, who was working with me at the time, Jen, I need to start a podcast. And she goes, well, hallelujah, yeah. I've been waiting for this day. 
And isn't that incredible how your mom's legacy empowered you and yes. continues to empower you? Yes, it does. Death has a way of bringing a clarifying effect into our life and she empowers me constantly, even though she's no longer physically at my side, I know she's still at my side and she's still, her legacy empowers me every single day. I yeah. have the same, the same views on legacy. So many people that are in my loved one's life or in my own life and I can just sense that presence mm -hmm. in some capacity. Sometimes it's just in our internal monologue or sometimes it's just that right moment, right time. But people that affected us at one point still affect us. And she, yes, absolutely. Her legacy will lives on in myself and in my kids too. I see it all the time. So. So you have quite the supportive husband. Oh my gosh, I married my best friend. I married the best person I know, and uh, it's it's kind of I know this is going to sound so sappy. We've been married for 15 years, and we just got back from another trip to Costa Rica. It's one of our favorite places. And I swear, I felt like we were on a second honeymoon. We just have so much fun together. I, I, there's nobody else in the world I'd rather travel with. And when we travel, we just, we talk nonstop. We love exercising together. We really push each other. And you know, it's like, okay, we'll get up in the morning. We have this stair workout. Let's go for a PB. How fast can we do it? So we're both at finding like exercises, both our drugs. And we love eating good. We love our sleep. So we're really aligned in so many different ways. And it works. And I'm so grateful for that. I really am. But I, I was never in a rush to get married. I thought when the right person walks into my life, I'll know it. Like I said, I was 32. So, and it happened when it was supposed to happen. I wasn't in a rush. Yeah. And I waited for that. It's really cool. And I like how you talk about physical ways that he's made you better in like the fitness and the food and all those things. But in terms of like emotional and when you've hit like a wall, when you don't know if you can make something happen, what are like three ways that he's supported you emotionally in ways that nobody else in your life ever mm -hmm. could have done? He, he listens without judgment. And, um, one of the things, and he never, he wasn't always this way, but it's through, um, let me, let me, the first thing, he's a brilliant communicator, a brilliant communicator. And what I mean by that is, I grew up in a family, believe it or not, where the silent treatment was our norm. So the way my mom and dad communicated was they didn't. When my, my dad got angry at my mom, he would give her the silent treatment. It would last about five days, and then it would, they would sweep it under the rug and then move on. They never dealt with problems by communicating. So that became my normal. So when Stephen and I started dating and we had our first disagreements, I would give him the silent treatment because I thought that's what everybody did because that's what I grew up with. And the first time he looked at me, he goes, what are you doing? Are you giving me the silent treatment? And I would be like, whatever. He goes, no, 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 no. We don't deal with problems by not talking about them. We talk about them. So he would just kept at me and at me and at me. He taught me how to talk about the hard stuff. And it was hard. It was really hard, but I learned it. And what that, that served me in all different areas of my life, not only in personal relationships, but in business as well, because I found 
the proper way to talk about the tough stuff. And one of the hardest things for me was like charging for services. You know, it's something that I used to, let's say, do for free, like MC. I'm now a professional MC, and it was hard to ask for money at the beginning. But I learned how to communicate those things through him. So he taught me the power of communication. And then the second thing is, um, I'm going to do a broad stroke with a paintbrush. Guys like to fix things. So when girls are having issues and they're melting down, they're, they just want to fix it. A lot of times we don't want you to fix anything. We just need you to listen. We need to be able to spew and just listen. And he's done that for me. He holds space for me. So some days he'll say to me, okay, do you just need to vent for five minutes? I'm like, yes, I do. And so I'll just let it all out. And then he just listens without judgment and he doesn't try to fix it. So that's another uh, way that we are really, really aligned. And then the third is that he's respectful of my needs and I'm respectful of his. So I'm a clean freak. Like I just, I have this OCD behavior that if the house is a mess, I can't think, I can't function. So he meets me halfway on that. He knows that the bed's got to be made before we leave the house for the day. Otherwise, my thoughts are scattered. So he honors that. So he's met me, and so I will do the same with him. So he knows what's important to me as well and, and, and honors it. And that means the world to me. That just goes so far for me in my headspace, in my physical and mental wellness yeah. in a day. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like some people take these things for granted. They think, oh, that, that person is good looking. This will work. But you need to have that kind of being continually growing through that person that you spend the most time with. Are you married? <laughs> no. Oh, gosh, you're miles ahead. I just read a lot of books and talk to a lot of people. Good for you. Well, thank you. Yeah, that is really important because that's too, it's on the finding out what your love language is. I don't know if you've let, read that, the four love languages. And what that means is everybody needs to have, feel, feels love in a different way. Some people like it in acts of service, right? Like I love it when Stephen makes the bed for me and when the house is clean when I come home or does all these little things for me. That means the world to me where he likes it when I'll come up and I show him physical love, like I'm hugging him or I, I, I cuddle up to him or those types of things. That's his love language. Mm -hmm. Mine's more acts of service. His is more physical touch. And I'm not talking just about, I'm not going straight to sex here. Oh, yeah. I'm just, guys just, he just likes to be like, if I come up and cuddle up or, you know, loves to walk around and hold hands. I think it's a beautiful thing. And I'm not really that tight, but I know that he appreciates it. So I go out of my way to do yeah. it. And I have to remind myself someday that this is important to him. I need to honor that in him. And it's just like, because you said about how guys like to fix things, because I've learned that the top yeah. way. Because as a person who likes to help, like, I think, I'm helping. <laughs> and I'm like, you're so we can fix your problem. Then you tell yeah. me, never. They never want me to fix it. Ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever. So I just got to listen. And yes. then show some compassion, perhaps. But just hold space. Just yes, listen. Be there. Without judgment. Yeah. And sometimes the easiest way is, what do you need from me? Or how can I help you? Do you want me to just listen? Do you want my advice? Mm -hmm. I will tell you. Yep. But a lot of times we just want you to listen. Sometimes we just need to spew those emotions out. Women naturally are more emotional. And it's uh, we just want you to listen. Totally. And like... It's a valuable thing to be able to just sit down and be like, all right, 
let's do this mm -hmm. and then they just talk yeah and yeah it's it's something it's so small so minute but it makes such a big difference in like friendships and relationships and all these things because like you can have all kinds of different friends but how you are in that friendship will change how that friendship is for you that's right that's right it's just something that I've learned so much in my focus for every week. I don't focus on how many clients I get, although like there has to be some focus I need to eat. Mm -hmm. But it's in the quality of the relationships that I have with my friends, my family, all those things like that. Like if I could have a coffee with somebody, I will. And then I can like share space. I can learn mm -hmm. from them. Yeah. I can offer something genuine for myself. I try to, my big thing is, uh, just be your damn self. Like I have that as the caption on my Instagram. Love it. Just because people are just trying to be someone else so consistently. Like they, they think that the secret is following the template of someone that made it. But the secret is following the template of what is closest to who you are. And I have to segue to the last question, mm, question that uh, I ask all of my guests. And I usually compile these together in like a little video with some cold play or something in the background <laughs> that sounds pretty cool but my question is mm -hmm. if you could give one piece of advice to someone on how to authentically live their life to the fullest what would that piece of advice be i live and breathe by the mantra you can create your own reality so what i mean by that is Sometimes you just need to sit down and write out what that reality is. What do you want out of life? What are your goals? What are your dreams? Write them down. Like, put a whole column of them. And then go out and create them. Way back when, I said, I will work at that, at CTV Calgary one day. And I created it. But it took a lot to get there. Well, I first have to go to school, and then I have to volunteer here, and I have to do that. Don't be afraid of the hard work. If you want something bad enough, create it in your life. It's not just gonna happen by magic. Go out and create it, take control of it. You wanna be the best trainer in the city? How are you gonna create that? Make a list of your ideas and your dreams and your goals. That's how you get from point A to point B. Find a way to create it. And, but you have to know what that is first. Yeah. Listen to that intuition and then go out and create it. It's a good one. I want to thank you for sharing space with me today on this nice uh, rainy day. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? This gift is mine. Like I have really loved this conversation. I loved your authenticity. Uh, it was a really great conversation. Thank you of sharing a part of yourself with me. I'm very grateful for that and for this opportunity as well. Awesome. And I'm, I'm sure this won't be the last time we'll do our interview. No. We're going to be doing backstage Vegas. You got it. How many you got years? It. Two, three years? Oh, no. Let's give it a little more breathing room. Let's go okay. five. Cool. Okay. I'll hold you to it. All right. I'll put it in my calendar. You're in. All right. Thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to Carrie Doll and I and our conversation that we had. I had a lot of fun. If you have the time, make sure to support her podcast, support support the stories that she has shared and the stories that she will share because she's doing it for the right reasons. And of course, don't leave me hanging. Support the Lifestyle Chase as well. 
My challenge is always to find an episode of somebody that you know nothing about and see what you learn from it. I really pride myself in asking meaningful questions. Sometimes it's donairs or pizza, but you know, sometimes it's just that's the question that I want to know the answer to. And it's kind of neat to have those answers about people in Edmonton or from other areas in the world. Uh, It always makes a huge difference to my vision and goal of what I'm trying to do with the podcast when it receives really good feedback, when it gets the shares on social media, when it gets those reviews on iTunes and the comments where somebody says like what resonates with them. So if you're ever listening to a podcast and it doesn't even have to be mine, it doesn't have to be Carrie Dolls, it just can be anybody's podcast. When you listen to it and it strikes a chord with you, always leave something, leave us some feedback because otherwise it's, We're left in this dark abyss of, did they like it? Did they not like it? We don't know. But no matter what, thank you for the support. It means the world to me. I hope you enjoy.